Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Welcome to Eloquentia perfecta ex machina, a podcast series devoted to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a range of media and focused on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors about how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. All right. Hi, I'm Sheila Corsi. I'm the coordinator of the Compass Lab and an assistant professor within the English department at SLU. And today I have with me uh, four very special guests, if you'd all like to introduce yourselves. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Clayton. I'm a junior undergrad. I study investigative and medical sciences. Hi, I'm Eva. I am a senior. I am double majoring in English and comm on the journalism track. Hey, I'm Lydia Estrada. I am a junior and an English and American studies double major. And I'm Wes Ragland. I'm a senior studying English. Great, thank you. So uh, Clayton, Eva, Lydia, and Wes are all staff members of the Compass Lab this semester. So you've all been working with the lab to help students augment their multimodal writing assignments in a particularly unusual semester. Uh, but you've also, of course, been navigating those same last two semesters as undergraduate students. Uh, so in this penultimate episode of the season, which is informally titled in my notes as the call is coming from inside the lab, I wanted to center your perspectives. So I thought we'd start by going all the way back to English 1900. Uh, what, if anything, do you all remember about your own 1900 courses? So this might include particular assignments or readings, exercises or challenges that you faced at the time. So as, as a science major, uh, the English courses at SLU are not particularly known for being uh, the most exciting or I guess they're mostly seen as a, a challenge for uh, students who are taking uh, chemistry or organic chemistry. <laughs> um, but, uh, I do remember one, one assignment that particularly captivated me, um, was, uh, was I was in Cherie's course, uh, for 1900 and she gave us an assignment, um, uh, where we were supposed to identify the arguments for and against safe spaces between, uh, U Chicago and, uh, Northwestern University. And what we ended up finding out was that the arguments were laid out exactly the same. They just came to different conclusions. And I thought that was a really fascinating exercise. I was also a science major my freshman year. And so I was also taking my English 1900 kind of as like a, I'm just taking it to get it out of the way. But also I was in the MICA learning community and I took the MICA course. So I was with all of the people that um, lived on my floor and I became friends with, and it was with Colton Bureau and it was a really great course. Um, but I don't remember my own final um, project, but one of my friends was about implicit bias and it was an audio piece. And I really remember it was pretty inspiring to me to uh, see what she could do just without really knowing um, much about audio beforehand. And I remember she used the Compass Lab to make that piece. And that's kind of what brought me to think about audio as like a career path for myself, because I was like, oh, she's doing this thing that's um, really cool. And like professionally done and she just figured out how to do it kind of by herself. So yeah, it was pretty formative for me, I'd say. 
Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't realize that was the beginning of your interest in kind of audio composition. I also have a lot of students this semester. So I, you know, I teach the uh, Medical Humanities 1900 courses uh, this semester. And it's been really interesting to see a lot of students are studying um, implicit bias in medicine, um, specifically during the COVID pandemic and the ways in which that um, kind of exacerbates, um, you know, standing structural problems in medicine. Um, but yes, it's been really, really fantastic to talk to these students who are kind of learn how, learning how to write um, and edit audio uh, versus kind of a much more standard written assignment for the first time. Yeah, it's a really cool thing that um, it kind of allows people to do things they're interested in, um, which I think is a strength of the English 1900 courses, just because there are so many people um, that are not English majors in those classes. Um, I think going in a lot of the time, like myself, um, a science major would have been like, oh, I have to take this. It's not something that I'm super interested in, I just have to get through. But um, in the end, I feel like a lot of people end up enjoying their final projects and being able to study things that they actually enjoy. Uh, I will take a hard turn and say that I do not remember anything from my 1900 course. It was very much for me a continuation of high school courses, except it was obviously focused more on rhetoric than on literature. Um, but having listened to the testimonies of other students and episodes of Eloquentia Perfecta, I, it's really incredible how much the program has changed since I was a freshman and how much you guys are focusing on different media and actually encouraging the multimodal aspect of the multimodal project. So I, I think the program is moving in a really great direction. Great. Thank you, Lydia. I'll actually use your answer to um, move on to my next question, which was, since you guys are listening um, uh, a lot of the time to these episodes this semester of um, Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina, or in, in Eva and Wes's case, right, you are actively editing some of these episodes. What is it like to listen to those episodes or those conversations from a student perspective? It's definitely really interesting to hear what professors have to say um, about their experience with students. I don't really get much feedback in that area during class. So it's been cool to also hear not only what teachers have to say about their curriculums, but also to learn about graduate students who are in my area of study because I don't really get to talk with them regularly. So it's been cool to hear their stories and kind of understand why they're continuing their journey in higher education. Great, thank you. Um, and Clayton, I know you are also kind of like our, our uh, Compass Lab veteran at the moment. You have actually been in the lab longer than I have um, as coordinator. Um, so I wanted to ask you kind of what, what you've seen kind of change in the semesters that you've been at the lab, either kind of in your own role um, and understanding of the writing program, um, or just generally kind of the things that we have been doing. I think it would be very difficult to talk about uh, how the lab has changed without talking about COVID because I think we were kind of on a different trajectory before COVID started. And so I would say the major changes I've seen at least this semester are that there are really not as many students in the lab as I have seen in years past. And the lab hasn't really been known for like having a large amount of, of students come in anyways, but I've barely interacted with any students this semester compared to, I think in years past, uh, the, at least like some aspects of the lab had kind of become more popular beyond just the English uh, courses. Like we had been getting uh, a steady amount of students come in uh, to use the studio for uh, recording all sorts of things. We had a, a student come in the last couple of years to, or last year to um, record his uh, his raps. I thought that was uh, kind of interesting, but 
Uh, yeah, I would say the major changes that have come uh, since a few years ago are just that I think, first of all, COVID changed things. But also, I think as you've taken over the role of the lab coordinator, Sheila, I think that we're advancing at a lot faster pace than we ever have been. We're like gaining all sorts of new technologies and we're like looking at how to incorporate certain uh, multimodal aspects into 1900 courses. And yeah, I would say that's probably the the biggest changes. I, I would like to see more students come to use some of those things. I think I think uh, we're kind of an underground little uh, niche um, little lab, but last year, I think we were starting to really take off with the, with professors. Professors were starting to use the lab as kind of like a hangout space and like uh, they would talk about their uh, dissertations and things like, uh, and I was really hoping that they would be able to kind of influence their 1900 kids to come in more. And unfortunately COVID happened. So <laughs> maybe next semester, next year. Yeah, no, I know it's been it's been particularly frustrating in the ways in which in, in the past the studio has become a community space that um, since we can only have three people in the lab at any given moment this semester is very hard to foster that same kind of community. Um, so yeah, you know, as as Clayton has mentioned right obviously it has been so much quieter this semester, both because of social distancing and because um, we have a large number of students who are um, learning remotely this semester. Um, so as a result, you know, a lot of your work has also tended to be project based right, rather than um, necessarily what we would consider your kind of normal hours of interacting with or interfacing with students and instructors. Um, so I was wondering if anyone wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the projects that you've done over the course of the semester, um, things that you're still looking forward to doing um, in the coming semesters when it comes to both working a little bit more closely with um, instructors or testing out different kinds of uh, programs or platforms as we again kind of try to advance and figure out what we can offer to students, uh, both remotely and as they as they come back into uh, the physical space of the lab in, in, in coming semesters. So one of the big projects you had me working on this semester was research into video games and how we can use those to supplement our English program at SLU. And it was a really interesting topic to explore just because that's not something that I'm personally very well versed in. I, am, I have terrible hand-eye coordination. I do not play a lot of video games. So it was really interesting to look at them from a narrative perspective and see how this is a emerging form of storytelling in ways that I don't think that a lot of universities are considering them right now. Um, but a big limitation for me in that field was that specifically we are looking into things like uh, having students create video games or video game related experiences for their multimodal projects. And an issue for me with that is that because my personal 1900 experience was so based in literature or at least in text, it is very difficult to imagine what that kind of process would look like. Um, but it, it was still a very interesting uh, form of research and I'm looking forward to continuing it next semester with maybe creating some tester examples or in just exploring the field further. Yes, absolutely. I think that's absolutely going to be a continuing field of research um, that uh, we are also trying to bring in some of our instructors who are kind of very um, immersed in kind of video games as both a, um, a medium and as a form of uh, composition um, who have already done some of the things in their classes. Um, so yes, that is absolutely on the horizon for next semester. 
I also wanted to um, think more broadly about your own experiences as, as students, um, uh, especially kind of in the last two semesters where there's been so many uh, pedagogical adjustments. So on this podcast, we often talk uh, to instructors about assignment design. So I want to think about, has there been an assignment that you've received in the last two semesters that works really well with some of the limitations or new possibilities of hybrid or remote instruction? So these don't have to be English classes, but even Lydia and Wes, you might have particular English examples. So this isn't in a class I'm specifically taking, but I am assisting a, pers- a professor with uh, figuring out Zoom in a in-person class that has just five students who are on Zoom this semester. Um, it's young adult literature, and it's like a 3,000 level English course. We have groups that we talk about um, different books with every single week. It's like groups of five people. And my thought was, oh, we'll put all five of the Zoom students in the same group for Uh, the duration of all of those like breakout groups. But the professor said that we should put the students in like one in each group. And um, that has actually worked really, really well, surprisingly to me. I think that the blended classroom has something specifically to give rather than just separating things by online and in person. I can't quite put my finger on what that is, but I think that um, being able to empathize and understand with the person who's not there or the person who is there brings like a broader understanding to whatever project that is being worked on. I took an English course last spring with Dr. Stump and he was great. And I especially love like the whole class is centered around just like an hour long discussion um, two times a week uh, about the readings we had done. And um, when we moved online, it was kind of like hybrid in the sense of uh, not like in person and online, but we had a little bit of an online discussion and then we would transition into like the second half of the class. So I guess the last 30 minutes or so uh, we would jump onto our discussion boards and we would talk about the reading with like pre predetermined questions. And I think that was really great because in class, it was nice because we would have kind of this back and forth discussion and we were still kind of retaining that. But at the same time, we were able to include a lot more perspectives because a lot of people wouldn't really participate in class or there wasn't really enough time to get all of the ideas down. And so having that kind of hybrid between the actual discussion and like a discussion board where everybody is posting simultaneously, I thought was a pretty good mix. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see in hybrid or remote classes, the ways in which certain kinds of students flock to different kinds of hybrid or remote participation in ways they might not in a fully in-person classroom. I think uh, last semester when we kind of went um, online quite suddenly, um, of course, though I was not at SLU, we also had a kind of similar experience. It was really interesting to see which students actually really uh, kind of flowered and and, um, did really, really well um, in the chat, right? When we were kind of talking as a class and students felt a lot more comfortable putting running commentary in a chat or something like a discussion board um, because it seemed a little bit less of a kind of embodied social performance um, in a comparison to uh, talking out loud in the middle of a classroom. Yeah, jumping off of discussion boards, I think one of the really successful things that one of my professors has done, Emily Lutensky in the American Studies Department, is initially our discussion boards were very much just busy work. So it was about having a quick reflection on the reading so that she could verify that we'd done it but we had a final conversation as the class was closing just to discuss what was going well and what was going less well. And one student brought up the idea of using discussion boards as a means of developing final papers and developing actual student ideas that we can utilize in the class to further our learning. And so she's going to be incorporating that more in the next semester and 
the next time she teaches this class. So I think one of the most valuable things that's come out of distance learning is the fact that we are all learning to do it together. And so there is a lot more collaboration between professors and students. Yeah, I think everyone's being very consciously reflective of why we are designing particular exercises or activities, what it's going to do, um, because we're kind of all starting from um, starting from scratch in certain ways. Um, so it has been really interesting to kind of have a constant dialogue um, in a way that we might not always have with students about, okay, what is the purpose of this, you know, medium or format when it comes to this exercise? What is it getting for us, right? Um, what is it helping us develop? And how can we do things differently? Um, I also wanted to ask you all just about your general own reading, writing, and research practices, uh, patterns, or habits. Um, how, if at all, have they changed over the last two semesters? Uh, for me, it was a challenge of not having the same spaces to study and work out of. Like, I used to go to the library very regularly and use the computer there. Just kind of, I liked the environment of it. I had a laptop, but I just preferred to work on a desktop and be in a space where there were other people working. So working from home has been a challenge. Yeah, I think for English, it takes a lot of, there's of course a reading aspect, but for me, the real challenge is in writing papers. So I like to be in a space that is not home when I write my papers. Um, so of course with COVID, it's, it's a challenge because you can't really go to a cafe or a library or anything like that, unless you want to take a risk. So that's sort of at the end of the semester, of the last semester, that's where the challenge was for me. It was just finding places where I could kind of go in my house to hunker down and, you know, hammer out a few pages. Absolutely. I know there's been a lot of conversations uh, around instructors as well about the kind of the loss of the coffee shop um, as a, a really essential space for both writing, uh, for us for grading. Uh, it can be very hard to grade at home. Um, but yeah, also reading and writing the ways in which kind of coffee shops or libraries are really essential spaces for moving out of your home space and into, if not a workspace or an office, then a kind of quasi workspace. I feel like I've gotten a lot more savvy with uh, the way that I do work. I will often do work that I'm actually interested in. Um, I'm more likely to make the papers and things that I'm writing, things that I am like really invested in because I am in my home space more often. Um, I don't know what that connection is, but I feel like if I'm sitting at my own like kitchen table, I wanna be doing something that I am personally interested in rather than just writing paper to get it out of the way. Um, and that's been actually a really great thing for me to learn how to do during quarantine. Yeah, Eva, that's a great point about kind of like emotional investment and and work that sometimes the tactics we take are to just make things uh, at least give personal stakes to whatever work project we are working on. Um, I know kind of in my own personal research, that's also been um, the case where I really had to bring up uh, research projects that were both feasible to complete right with online research. Um, as a medievalist, early modernist, that's not always possible when it comes to archives and uh, the necessity of kind of traveling to see materials, uh, but also something that I found deeply and profoundly interesting because otherwise there are so many things, high stakes things going on in the world that it can be very hard to justify um, to yourself, right, focusing on this particular assignment or this particular research project. I also wanted to more broadly ask you, kind of thinking about um, uh, COVID and the way that has changed the last two semesters. Um, from a student perspective, uh, what do you think instructors still need to take into consideration as they plan for the spring semester, um, since we'll continue to be in a kind of distance or hybrid format? Um, so as students, you know, we've talked a little bit about 
uh, things your instructors have been doing that have been positive, the kind of reflection um, that has been central to kind of constantly revising activities or syllabi. Um, are there things from a student perspective you think still need to be centered in the conversation? I think now more than ever, I need consistency in the way that my assignments are assigned and due. I understand that that is impossible for everybody right now, but um, I think the classes that have succeeded for me the most this year have been the ones where um, even though it's been hybrid of online and in-person, there's been a really consistent schedule and like really thorough communication between the class and the professor. I feel like specifically, um, if you're not able to see someone face to face, it's really, really important that if something isn't communicated well, that it is consistent with, with what has been going on the rest of the semester. I think there's, and this is not a rant, but there are a lot of teachers who assign group projects. And um, I know that people still want to do group projects, but I really think with COVID, doing group projects is a silly idea. And I hope that professors would not do them anymore, but I know they do them anyway, but I, this is just, I, if it was me, we would not do group projects during COVID time because it's already a challenge for students. And with the added isolation, um, it becomes quite a difficulty to make that happen. I think that uh, a lot of people during COVID have had to take on a lot more responsibilities uh, at home. And I think one of the main things I've heard like a general consensus on is that classes, uh, asynchronous classes can kind of be a toll on, it's a, it's, it's a huge responsibility to kind of remember when to uh, get around to doing, doing things for that class. I can definitely speak to that uh, in my own experience and I'm sure other people have had the same experience. I think that asynchronous classes kind of came as like a way to kind of help people who didn't necessarily have time to attend classes um, consistently. But I do think kind of going off of what Eva was saying, I kind of value that consistency and kind of want to know that there's a little bit more structure to my day, to my week, and that I'm not just going to be watching like six physics lectures every other Friday night. <laughs> Yeah, I know there's, um, as I, both when it comes to kind of group projects and asynchronous structures, I feel like are um, on <laughs> funnily opposite ends of kind of the, both the difficulty, right, of coordinating, right, within a large group um, during COVID versus kind of some of the um, uh, kind of isolation or lack of structure um, that can come with some kind of uh, you know, asynchronous courses or assignments um, where, yes, um, especially when there are uh, so many other responsibilities that it, it can kind of snowball um, sometimes in, in overwhelming ways. Um, anything else that you guys wanted to kind of center or think about when it comes to um, your own kind of educational experiences over the last two months? Um, things you would, uh, things, final, uh, final pieces of advice you would give to instructors as they start designing their courses for the spring semester. I would say I've had classes that have been not so great because of COVID, very understandable, but I've also had classes that almost were better because of Corona. It just kind of increase the student teacher bond. I've seen people like show up for each other in ways that I didn't expect. And it's more of like an intimate experience with a class and with a professor, just even online, because we know that we're all going through the same thing. Yeah. And I, I've really valued that in some of my classes this semester and last semester. 
I agree. I think there can definitely be a kind of a bonding under the conditions of COVID remote instruction uh, that can definitely cause kind of both students within a course and students and instructors to bond together that we all truly are struggling kind of with some of the same challenges and limitations this semester and trying to, trying to despite that, create a learning community. Well, thank you all so much uh, for coming on to this episode. I'm sure that all of the instructors that listen to this podcast are really excited to hear your perspectives and, and hear more about what we're going to be doing next semester in the lab, hopefully to balance between kind of remote resources and still trying to create that kind of in-person community that can be very hard during COVID. But thank you all, and I will see you next semester. <laughs> to get involved in this podcast series, to share an assignment or tool, or to pitch an interview, please contact me at sheila.corsi at slu.edu. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina.